Life means relationship more than anything else. Good life means good relationship. When relationships are good and meaningful, life is becomes a good and meaningful. By the same token, bad life, bad life means a bad relationship. You know, we often think they are more like a capitalist than a Christians. In that bad life means bad economic or bad financial situation? Not necessarily. You know, good life is more than how much I have in my financial portfolio and how much I know in my brain. But it's all about what kind of relationship am I, I, mean, I am forming with the people around me. You know, relationship is far more precious and richer than any wealth and wisdom. When we follow God, one thing I can guarantee you from my experience and my reading of the scripture is that you will find great relationship in life because our God, our triune God, is a God of relationship. God is not only personal and relational, but also God works through people and relationship. One of the critical people God uses is encouragers. Encouragers. For instance, in the Bible, God used Melchizedek, king of Salem, to encourage Abraham in Genesis 14. And also for uh, Moses, when Moses was struggling with a massive uh, administrative duty, God used Moses' father-in-law, the priest of uh, Midian, uh, Midianite, Jethro, to guide and encourage him. And for David, whose life story we're going to continue to study in this summer, uh, God placed the prophet Nathan to guide and correct him. All these people I call not just encouragers, but sure encouragers. That's the today's sermon title. And uh, I found this title actually from uh, J.R. Tolkien's uh, letter. When Tolkien published the novel Lord of the Rings in 1954, he received so many accolades. Some of you know that the Lord of the Rings? Yep, that's the, you know. And uh, the London Times said this novel will divide the people of the English language world into two groups. One who have read the Lord of the Rings and the other who say they were going to read the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Since then, the Lord of the Rings have been consistently selected as one of the top five most important novels in the 20th century, influencing later works like a Harry Potter series, as well as a song of ice and fire, you know, aka Game of Thrones. Okay. Now, uh, Tolkien later wrote a very moving quote, moving note to Tolkien Society of America about who you know who really helped him to write this novel. And uh, in his letter, let's let, uh, let me show you the quote. Lewis. He says, C.S. Lewis was a very impressionable man, and this was abated by his great generosity and capacity for friendship. The unpayable debt that I owe to him was not influenced as it is ordinarily understood, but sure encouragement. Sure encouragement. Sure encouragement. 
He was for long my only audience. Only from him did I ever get the idea my stuff could be more than private hobby. You know, reason he, the uh, Tolkien thought this was uh, uh, the uh, story of Lord of the Ring was a private hobby was actually in the 1930, I think five, he wrote the Hobbit, and uh, even though it was successful, Hobbit was a children's novel. And then, you know, he started writing actually Lord of the Rings initially in 1939 for his three sons who were serving at the time Royal English Air Force. In 1939, you know, the uh, Great, uh, Great Britain was in so called the Battle of Britain and the fatality in the uh, uh, RAF was the highest among all the people who fought the World War II. So much so that the, what is that, the, uh, Churchill once said, the, uh, never in history, so many people owe so much to so little, so few. That's how much you know, RAF sacrificed. So since Tolkien, sons were uh, serving in a very dangerous time and dangerous missions, Tolkien every week wrote this chapter and this, you know, mail to his children. And uh, he also wants to share with his friends from Oxford called the Inklings. But guess what? None of uh, you know, Inklings were interested except C.S. Lewis. And the C.S. Lewis is the one who encouraged Tolkien that you have something important here. You need to keep writing this. And that kept Tolkien to write is a masterpiece for 10 years. And then 1954, the book, The Masterpiece, Lord of the Ring, was published. So C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were not just good friends, they were sure encouragers to each other. In Apostle Paul's life that we've been studying, we also find a sure encourager. And his name was Joseph. But he was more known for his nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And many scholars wonder, what would happen to Saul of Tarsus or Apostle Paul had not been Barnabas? You know, there's somebody's life that you cannot make sense or cannot fully describe without someone else, the helper or encourager. That is Barnabas. In early days of Paul's ministry, Barnabas was very, very important. And uh, uh, the, uh, the renowned New Testament scholar James Dunn once called Barnabas to be the most, one of the most beautiful figures and critical characters, not just for Paul, but early days of Christianity. And he was absolutely right. Because of Barnabas, you know the name Barnabas, mentioned third most in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Paul was mentioned the most, uh, 208 times. And Peter was uh, 72 times. Barnabas mentions 26 times. So this is a third most frequent, you know, frequently mentioned name. And definitely in early days, early story of the book of Acts, you can see the this uh, unforgettable influence of Barnabas. So today we're going to talk about Joseph or Barnabas. And I want us to know why 
or how he played a such an important role as a sure encourager for others. And uh, especially as we are about to start the hybrid Sunday worship and ministry format very soon, I really pray that God help us to become more creative and caring Barnabas for each other. And uh, I want to say from the outset very clearly, it's not about how many Barnabas we have in our life, but it's about how much Barnabas you and I are, we become. Amen? So even though you might not have a Barnabas in your life in the, you know, previously, you can imagine more blessing is we become a Barnabas to other people. And definitely, you know, we, I see many Barnabas in forest. So how can he become a sure encouragers? I want us to learn three characteristics of encouragers and encourage one another with the same characteristic for the glory of our risen Christ. Now, first thing, first characteristic is a sure encouragers are risk-taking encouragers. Risk-taking. They are risk-taking. Risk-takers. So let's read Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. Acts chapter 9, 26 says, When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey has seen the Lord, and the Lord has spoken to him, and how in Damascus he has preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. When Saul returned to Jerusalem from Damascus after three years, everyone was afraid, still was afraid to meet him and suspected him because the last time they saw him, he was a brutal, relentless persecutor against the Christians. He he. He, 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 uh, he, he let the riot to kill uh, Stephen. Barnabas was exceptional, while everybody else was extremely, uh, extremely uh, afraid. Why was a Barnabas more risk-taking than others? Was it because he was more optimistic by nature? You know, by nature, some of us are optimistic, some of us are pessimistic. And you know who is optimistic, who is a pessimistic in my household, right? Okay, risk-takers, risk-taking encouragement, I want to say, is a more than natural attribute. I want to say, it's a spiritual quality. You know, this was not the first time Barnabas, that he was uh, risk-taking. He took the risk before. Actually, he was very reckless, not just risk-taking, almost reckless. So look at the Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned the land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. The early church achieved the impossible social reality, I call it true communism, 
Yes, this is a true communism. Marxist communism is a fake and failure because it was not a spirit-led but man-made. It was not a volunteer, voluntary but actually forced political structure. True communism, if you look at this text, was a born only from new social reality and perspective of life based on resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Resurrection of Jesus Christ transformed the social reality, social economic you know, value systems of the followers of Jesus Christ. They became a generous sharers of their material goods with the other brothers and sisters, so-called the spiritual family. Now, Luke tells us now in the uh, continuing uh, passage, two examples of giving. So pay attention here. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is that a good example, okay? Good example. I mean, example of good giving. Now, bad example of, of uh, uh, giving. Verse 5, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, uh, Sapphira also, also sold a piece of a property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and prayed at the apostles' feet. Now, and then, rest of the story tells us that uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they told lie to the apostles that they gave it all. Why did Ananias and Sapphira lie about their giving? Why couldn't they simply say that, uh, you know, they, they, they saved a little or spared a little for their retirement? You know, it's, it's a voluntary. They already gave a large sum. You know, they sold their real estate and they gave a chunk of it to the church. So it was not a small, regular Sunday offering that uh, you and I do. It is a huge, you know, uh, uh, asset they gave to the church then why they repeatedly insist that they gave it all? You know why? They want to be called Barnabas by apostles and everyone. You know, they gave a lot to gain adoration of all people, just as a Barnabas received. So from this passage, we can see that Joseph did not just uh, give his offering, but he gave it all. He gave it sacrificially. And that's why, not just you know, uh, church members, but apostles who know the meaning of sacrifice were very touched and impressed, and they called Joseph son of encouragement. They probably saying that we are also committed to the Lord, but Joseph, you really, really committed to the Lord, and that you embody the sacrifice. Now, that's what, you know, uh, side note, you know, so you, those of you know the story that Sapphira and Ananias, they kept lying. And so eventually, you know, uh, God, you know, they died for their lie to the church. And, uh, I, you know, people are troubled and scared by this passage. I mean, should be scared, but uh, this death, their death does not mean that God sent them hell. Okay. For the lie, if God sent the believers to hell, I don't think not many of us would be here. 
you might not see me next Sunday here. I'm sorry, Lord, but uh, you know, it was a you know uh, their death. I call it's a God's providential in- intervention to take a home, take them home early. I call it premature, unnecessary, dishonorable discharge from service of the kingdom of God. And sometimes, for the sake of other people, God does that. Yep, scary thought. God can discharge us earlier, in case, you know, if there's somebody just, uh, you know, recent Christian leader, who, you know, who's, uh, who's that everybody, you know, lamented, but after, you know, we found out what he did, we kind of feel relieved that God took him earlier than, you know, usual. Okay, you don't know the name, that's fine. What does a sacrificial giving? Now, so Barnabas, he gave sacrificially. And this has to do with also risk-taking. You know, when you die, when we die in our materialistic ambition and greed, we become free and more courageous. And then now the question is, is it impossible to die or, or you know, kill even our greed or financial you know, ambition? Only those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and see the greatest value of life is beyond the life and uh, can do this. Barnabas' risk-taking was possible because of his trust in God. His trust in God was possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So note this, biblically, generosity is not a prerogative of rich people, but generosity is a power of a redeemed. Giving is a sharing, it's not sharing a spare you know, resources. It's a sharing one's life sacrificially. So sacrificial generosity makes us a bold risk taker and a trust creating encouragers. So Barnabas' fearless introduction of a soul to apostles and others reveals his actually faith in risen Christ. He already gave it all. So it's a, you know, you know, uh, uh, that cannot scare him anymore. Now, let me go to the second characteristic of a sure encouragement, encourager. Second characteristic is a remembering. Now, let's look at the Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and 24. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to spoke to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached, reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When they arrived and saw what the grace of God has done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and great number of people were brought to the Lord. An important side comment must be made here. 
From the beginning, Christianity was a movement of ordinary, unnamed believers. We don't know who, who went to the Antioch and preached the gospel. These unsung heroes, some of them mentioned they're from the Cyprus and the Cyrene, but other than the, you know, where they are from, we don't know much about them. This is how early, Christ, you know, uh, early church grew through unsung heroes. You know, note this, Christianity is for, you know, it's not a movement of superstars or, you know, extraordinary apostles. It is ordinary, simple Christians who are faithful to call of, you know, who, who, who receive, who, uh, who know the joy of, uh, redemption. They're the one who expand the kingdom of God. Also, that's why we called our church name Forest, not a big tree. We are not a tree of, we are not a church of just one gigantic tree. We are church of many, 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 many trees that our roots are connected to each other. Now, you know, these people, these uh, original, you know, uh, Jewish uh, uh, believers who are scattered and began to share the gospel, initially they shared the gospel with the Jews, but some of them, when they went to Antioch, they began to share with the Gentiles. And uh, God was so pleased with their reaching out to Gentiles that God blessed them overwhelmingly. And their number grew so much that their news reached to, uh, far down to Jerusalem. Now, guess what the initial reaction of a Jerusalem church uh, to the, uh, this uh, spiritual explosion of a growth in Antioch? I must say, it was a mixed reaction of joy and concern. We will see more later in our series. But the fact that uh, some of the Jewish people preached the gospel to the so-called Greeks, according to our text, was a very problematic to some of the Jewish people in down in Jerusalem. In the term Greeks, in the, at the time, was a very negative term. Because Greeks called Greeks, you know, uh, Greeks call themselves uh, enlightened, whereas uh, Jew, Greeks look at the Jews as a very ignorant, superstitious, you know, uh, uh, people. And uh, so, actually, the word Greeks actually means uh, pagans. And uh, many Jerusalem Christians or Jewish Christians, followers of Christ, they were not sure. If this kind of pagan people can also follow the Jewish Messiah called Jesus of Nazareth without conforming to Jewish customs and rituals. There was no mention of circumcision. There's no mention of a Sabbath. There's no mention of a synagogue. They just returned to the Lord and they began. That probably means they've been baptized and then they just joining the Christian worship on Sunday. And so Jerusalem Christians, they didn't know what to do. And I want to say this. That's why if you look at the, uh, between the Saul's conversion story in Acts 9 and today's passage, Acts you know, 11, what happened in Acts 10? Acts chapter 10 actually described the example of a Jerusalem Christian's anxiety about Gentiles coming to Christ. That's the story of uh, Peter going to Cornelius' house. Do you, you know, amazingly, 
uh, James Dunn is a, once again, is a great New Testament scholar and is a commentary. You know, he titled the Acts chapter 10, Conversion of a Peter. Conversion of a Peter. First time I look at it, it's a what? I understand conversion of Paul because he didn't know Jesus was a Messiah. But Peter already knew Jesus as a Messiah. Why in the world did he call that as a conversion of a Peter? Peter was so ethnocentric. Even though Jesus told him to go all over the world to preach the gospel, he thought, go to all over the world to preach the gospel, only Jewish people. He didn't know the meaning of going to all over the world. Peter was so ethnocentric or Jewish. So, you know, God has to command them. God has to, you know, use that uh, special meaning of that the three. Number three again, several times. And the James Dunn is right. That chapter 10, uh, Acts chapter 10, is a story about conversion of Peter from the very ethnocentric, you know, uh, uh, Jewish followers of Christ, the global, global, gospel-believing Christian follower of Jesus Christ. So conversion of Peter is not a, a is not a overstatement. For traditional Jews to meet and interact interact with the Romans, and then sharing the gospel and eventually call them a brother is is not a overstatement. Now, it's almost like a, you know Jewish rabbi enjoying a hot dogs with the beers. It's like kind of a kind of a, you know thing. Now. In contrast to Peter-like apprehensive Jewish followers of Christ, some disciples were open and positive. And so, Jerusalem church, they have to be very careful and cautious in a time like that. So guess what? They selected somebody well respected by both parties. You know, that is Barnabas. And Luke said Barnabas was chosen because he's a good man full of the Holy Spirit and truth. Everybody knows of Barnabas' sacrificial generosity and commitment to the church. So when Barnabas was selected as a representative to the Antioch church, nobody has a qualm. So Barnabas, yes, I trust. In addition, Barnabas also from Cyprus. So Barnabas went to Antioch, and there he found the movement and conversion was real and authentic, legit. And under the Barnabas encouragement, encouraging leadership, Antioch Church was growing explosively. And the uh, amazing thing about Barnabas, when church was growing fast, he knew what growing church needed. Guess what? What growing church needed? Quality teaching. Quality teaching. Barnabas know, knew that growth the numerical growth is not all about the church growth. The real important thing about church is the truth, is the health. If a growth is not based on truth and health, that growth is a very shallow emotional. You, you know, it cannot bear the real lasting fruit. So verse 25, look at this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for holier, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So Barnabas remembered Saul. 
That's the second characteristic of a sure encouragement, encourager. That's a remembering, remembering. And we shouldn't underestimate the fact that Barnabas remembers Saul here. Because according to you know, Galatians chapter 2, that, that it has been more than 10 years since Saul and Barnabas saw each other. Do you remember from the sermon two weeks ago about the silent decade of Apostle Paul in Tarsus? They have not heard much from each other. You know, back then there was no email, no phone, let alone, you know, cell phone, and no texting. And then private letters was actually letter correspondence in ancient time was very expensive. There was no, you know, a UPS or, you know, and uh, so it's a rare, except the official, you know, official uh, business. Not many people wrote to their families, you know, exchange a letter. There's no pen pen pals, okay? So notice the expression, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, it implies that it took a while for Barnabas to find the Saul in the large, you know, cosmopolitan like a Tarsus. And when Barnabas found the Saul, they began to work together. And they became one of the greatest missionary duos in history that we know. Now, someone said best uh, uh, three best things in life are. Somebody said, the, guess what? Three of the best things in life: friends, dreams, and memories. Friends and dreams and memories. And true great friends are hard to find and difficult to live, and they're impossible to forget. What do you think? Do you have a people like that? Do you see each other as a, I, it's so blessing to find you in my life? I hate to leave you, or I will never forget you. That's a friend. That's a true friend. You know what? Who remembers you is very important. More, also, when they remember you, is also very important. Did you know Forrest was born out of memory of a one college you know, student that I, whom I met uh, 13 years ago in Waco? You know, I wouldn't say who, but that, uh, you know, and then I heard that uh, she graduated from Waco uh, in a church that I served. So she was in the church that I served for like two years. We overlapped two years. And then she moved to Dallas. And then, you know, I kind of uh, uh, met her at the best, I think uh, twice at the Co-Mart <laughs> with a boyfriend. Uh, uh, boy, yeah, boyfriend. And, uh, you know, only thing I remember was that, oh, this boyfriend is better than one she had in back in Baylor. Oh, yeah. I hope I don't create a, a marital conflict today. But, uh, yeah. I saw, I told Jamie that, oh, finally, she found a good one. Thank God. Okay. And then, you know, and then a few years later, and then several years later, after I'm done with the DVU, one day I got a phone call from that uh, former Baylor, you know, graduate and asked me, Pastor Paul, can you come to our church and uh, uh, speak for, you know, Christmas? as a guest speaker. And that led to 
meet many of our forest founding members. Isn't that interesting? One small memory led to where we are today. Life, don't ever ignore who remembers you. It's my prayer that many would remember every one of us and that we become a, a part of a great memory for many people. You know, this pandemic made many unforgettable memories. And I'm so grateful to resilient and faithful friends and my spiritual, you know, our spiritual family members. We remember to meet together. And uh, I, I'm really grateful to God, those who remember the house church is important and kept coming. That's how, that's how we survive. And that's how we will not only survive, but thrive in the future. So regarding Barnabas remembering Saul and his invitation for co-working at Antioch, we must remember this. Very important thing. You know, Jesus called Saul earlier to be apostle to Gentiles. But that Jesus call was confirmed or initiated through Barnabas' encouragement. God calls us, but guess what? It's not all about Jesus and me. It is a community, especially about this sure, 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 sure encourager like a Barnabas that complete the rest of God's calling. Amen? I hope you and I can be ultimately not just good friends, but the partners of the gospel. That we encourage one another resiliently and risk-takingly that we can serve the Lord. Let me bring out the final quick conclusion. So, verse 27, Acts chapter 11. During this time, some prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted the severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. By the way, Josephus' writing also confirmed this. So it, we know this is historical, you know, accurate. It happened to AD 47-ish. The disciples, as each one, each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did and sending their gift to the elders of Jerusalem by Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul not just became a partners of the gospel, but also they together they reach out to, you know, reach out to others. They became a reaching out encouragers. Here, they're reaching out to two group of people. One is the you know the Gentiles in Antioch. And the other one is the uh, people to down to Jerusalem. Now, verse 26, later, uh, uh, earlier we said, first, this is where the disciples were called uh, uh, Christians, first at Antioch. You know, the word Christians was actually Latin term, Christianis, Christianis. That's how Romans usually call other people, whoever the main leader, and they basically put the, oh, you are the, sort of uh, uh, followers or cronies of uh, Herodia or Herod, so Herodians or uh, uh, Christianos or Christiani. Now, Luke, when he wrote the book of Acts, he says something to us. You know, people say, Luke 
he really find the church of Antioch is the, the climax, the peak of a gospel movement. It was an Antioch church that became a, the model church. We'll see that next week furthermore. But Antioch, just for the reformation, I mean for information, Antioch was the third largest city in the uh, uh, Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And it's not just the third largest city, it became a forefront uh, mission headquarter for the rest of the Book of Acts. And the uh, Antioch Church, also, they are exemplary, not only in, in the evangelism, reaching out to Gentiles, but in sharing, once again, their resources with the needy people, especially those Jewish counterparts in Jerusalem. They helped them out in coming famine prophesied by Prophet Nehemiah Agabus. Now, let me ask you this question. When you hear there will be major economic you know, crisis, what do you do? What do people do when there is a, a coming you know, financial crisis? You know, many, you know, many people stop, file the toilet papers and the stuff. Or some, you know, savvy, financially savvy people that are, let me see which company going to, you know, fly and let me make an investment. Guess what the Church of Antioch did? Everyone, they broke their saving. Every spare resources they sent down to Jerusalem to help out needy, brothers and sisters. These are the two marks of great churches in the Bible. Reaching out to those who don't know Christ and rescuing other Christians in their financial or whatever you know, need. And uh, you know, one of the most grateful things that I, I hope we will not forget about this pandemic is that last year we, we made a, a forest uh, family relief fund and we helped out several people, several families. So much so that actually Ginny knows that we received the strange people that, you know, kind of found out that information. People that I never met, never came, you know, never came to our worship to re requesting the, you know, uh, fund and uh, I investigated and, uh, you know, I couldn't go further. And we, we, you know, we stopped, but at least among our family members and the relatives, we helped that out. And I'm really grateful that many of you gave up your uh, uh, pandemic, what is that, uh, stimulus check to the church? Yep, I'm really grateful. Now, Antioch Church, they became, together with uh, Paul and Barnabas, they are reaching out people. They are not inward people. They are reaching out. In crisis, many people turn inward. They become a, many people become a survival, survival mode. Antioch Church, they are outward people. They're looking for downtrodden or people in crisis. You know, this reminds me of someone's, you know, uh, uh, saying about God's love like an ocean. Rick Warren once said this, God's love is like an ocean. You can see it's a beginning, but not its end. What a great statement, right? God's love is like an ocean. 
we see, you know, we see the beginning in the beach, but you never see the end. You have to, to see the end, you have to, you know, go to the other hand. You know, C, never discriminate or refuses any river or any tributary. It welcomes every, you know, tributary, any streams of water into vast ocean. Just like that, our God is the greatest ocean of goodness and kindness. God welcomes everyone with every background, every culture, and much more. He not only receives us, but restores us. That's the sure encouragers do for us. And let us encourage one another. Just as Barnabas encouraged many people with risk-taking and remembering and reaching out, let us be a Barnabas to each other. Let's pray.